Section 9 of A Change of Air by Catherine Fullerton Gerald. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Section 9 Yes, I'm in, Bessie John murmured to the echo of the maid's retreating footsteps. But why in the world didn't you say I was out? Why don't you always say out to Aunt Blanche? But one has to pay more for servants who can do that with the proper air. I wonder why. You'd think it was an easy accomplishment to acquire. Stella did it beautifully. She never made a mistake. But she wouldn't do a thing for the twenties when nurse was out, and she wanted her wages raised every month. A social sense below stairs comes very high. Nurse's social sense is all we can afford. I have to go without one myself to pay for hers. As for you, darling... Philip John was in the room, watching her idly as she prepared herself to descend. You never had one, did you? Yours are the manners of the original theocracy. A Levite who married into one of the lost tribes. Shocking! She rubbed her chin on the top of his head as she passed him. I don't blame you for not wanting to see that dreadful old woman, he offered genially. Want me to come down and help? You don't help, Pillywinky. She shrugged her shoulders. Aunt Blanche is afraid of you. She knows you're a Christian and that you know she isn't. I mean, theology aside, you're the real thing. And if you ask my opinion, I don't believe Aunt Blanche will get a lookin' on the day of judgment. I fancy that's too hard on her. I don't think much of her mental processes, but she probably acts according to her lights. Then her light is a leaky gas jet. Oh, of course she doesn't know what a pig she is. But you see, when you're about, she dimly discerns the sty. So she doesn't let herself go, and she's no fun at all unless she does. If I've got to see her, I want to get comedy out of it. Mrs. John, still reluctant, lingered a little on the threshold. "'Why did you back her up, Bess?' The question was reminiscent. It referred to events of nearly a year before, when the Johns and at least one other had been very uncomfortable in Mr. Reed's office. But Bessie John had always known it would some day be asked, and she took time to answer it. "'I didn't, Philip. She backed me up.' which is a very different matter. Then she went, for she did not care to discuss it further now. Bessie John had been miraculously preserved at that time from a serious disagreement with her husband, preserved, as she piously acknowledged to herself, by the startling intervention of Walter Levin. He had driven them all violently forth from any participation in Miss Wheaton's affairs, had taken over the whole situation himself at once, so that their uncomfortable hour need positively never have been. He would permit no subscriptions, even from the Johns or Mrs. Williston, and this information had been passed on to them so quickly by Mr. Reed that Bessie had never had to quarrel with her husband over the amount. No one knew, not even John, how grateful Bessie was to be relieved of such a necessity. She did not call Levin a saint, 
but she was not far from thinking him an angel. He had seemed to intervene, that is, supernaturally. Thanks to Levin, they had only come to the brink of quarreling. They had never had really to begin. Neither of them had ever been anxious to, and as far as she could see, they never, never would have to now. Bessie was dressed in black, and she and Mrs. Williston sat somberly opposite each other in the sea captain's front parlor. "'Good of you to come out on a holiday when your family must be wanting you at home,' Bessie began, not too amiably. Mrs. Williston shook her head. "'I sometimes feel that I am a check on their high spirits. Their ways are not my ways. I should have thought they did their best.' Bessie knew the reply was not the right one, but she was annoyed that Aunt Blanche should have turned up on one of Philip's rare days of freedom. Mrs. John's tone had been colorless enough, but Mrs. Williston scented prejudice in it, irony she was incapable of recognizing, which may have been why Bessie John kept up the intimacy. With prices where they were, a wife and mother had to take her pleasure where she could get it cheapest. "'Bessie, I don't believe you know what I have to bear. "'I have no complaint to make. "'I am not a complaining person, but I am sensitive, "'and to have my most serious advice disregarded, "'completely disregarded.' "'Her handkerchief came out of her bag. "'Oh, they seem so courteous, Aunt Blanche.' "'Her vivid memories of that slavish household forced the speech from her. "'Is this generation ever courteous? "'But of course I make allowances for that. "'I do not complain, I tell you. "'You will never find me complaining, "'but it is hard not to be loved by one's own. "'I pray you may never have it to bear.' "'She shook her head as if she had the vision "'of basely ungrateful grown-up twins. "'They respect me, but I do not feel I have their confidence.' I have to ask questions. Sometimes I wonder if all I have done for them has been in vain. Have you ever noticed that the most unselfish persons get the least gratitude? Yes, often. Bessie's voice was quite empty of irony this time. But that is not what I came to talk about, Mrs. Williston went on. I feel it my duty to go and see Cordelia Wheaton, "'You know she is very ill. "'I have purposely kept away for a good many weeks. "'When she first came back I meant to see her often. "'I thought that the countenance of an old friend might be welcome, "'especially an old friend who, if I do say it, "'has kept the respect of a modest and godly circle. "'I said to myself, "'Blanche Williston, isn't it your duty to go over into Macedonia and help?' It wasn't easy. I have grown used to working with sympathetic Christian souls. Our board meetings are more like prayer meetings, Bessie, than mere business occasions. But I said, perhaps it is too pleasant for me, too easy where I am. Perhaps I ought to go into the outer darkness and find Cordelia. And I tried. I made my sacrifices. 
I refused the chairmanship of the executive committee of our new church auxiliary to the Liberian religious aid, because I felt that at any time of the day or night I might be called on to wrestle for Cordelia's soul. And besides, Bessie, she bent forward, almost whispering, I said to myself, that poor misguided creature shall know that there is one respectable woman who does not avoid her, who goes to her as a friend in broad daylight. But what do you mean, Aunt Blanche? Mrs. John had not seen Mrs. Williston for some time, to be sure, but certainly it would take decades to brew a scandal about poor, broken Cordelia Wheaton. Why, surely you knew, Bessie. Miss Bean would have taken her in, I believe, if she had been well paid. They could have done light housekeeping somewhere. It was what I originally suggested, if you remember. I don't know how long it would have lasted, but it would have been a step in the right direction. But Cordelia's evil genius stepped in and took her to himself. Surely you knew, Bessie. If you did not, you have been very remiss— that for three months Cordelia has been living with Mr. Levin. Oh, that! Bessie John gave a light sigh of disappointment. Why, naturally I've known that ever since it happened. I thought you were talking about a scandal. Why have you got such big teeth, Grandmother? Mrs. Williston glared at her silently. It's out of Red Riding Hood, Aunt Blanche. Bessie grew impatient. I mean, I honestly thought for a minute that Miss Wheaton had given you some reason to be shocked. I didn't know, but she had thrown a bronze Buddha at you. Do you mean to tell me, Bessie John, that you think Cordelia Wheaton should live with a man she is not married to? Mrs. John regarded her caller with open mouth. Then she began to giggle. The giggle grew on her, turned to an hysterical laugh. It was a moment or two before she could speak. Mrs. Williston had never recovered from the glare, and now the glare showed signs of intensifying itself. Bessie John put up a hand to plead for silence until she was fit to speak. "'Why, why, Aunt Blanche,' she cried feebly, "'do you mean to tell me that you think there is anything shocking in that? Why—' They're both on the edge of the grave. So am I on the edge of the grave, as you so politely put it, Bessie. But I think you would be shocked if I went to live with Walter Levin. Mrs. John's newly won gravity forsook her. She giggled again. So I should, Aunt Blanche, awfully shocked. I should think you were Messalina, no less. You must admit that when you've appeared to hate him so many years, it would give rise to the gravest suspicions, clandestine meetings no longer to be born, all that sort of thing. I should get out a warrant at once and hurry you off to do light housekeeping with old Miss Bean. You have a very unpleasant vein of humor, Bessie. So I have, so I have. Forgive me, Aunt Blanche. Mrs. John wiped her eyes in sign of contrition. "'But I think it would dry up without you. "'Only, seriously, why can't you put all that silly stuff out of your head?' "'Mrs. Williston's reply was unexpectedly mild. 
I don't say there is anything wrong, Bessie. I sincerely hope there isn't, but I do not believe in defying the laws of God and man. I should suppose they were both past the temptations of youth. But what reason is there except human perversity for their not marrying? About a hundred, I should imagine, Aunt Blanche. In the first place, it would look so silly. In the second, there's Miss Wheaton's religion, isn't there? And in the third place, who in the world knows or cares? I think it's quite delightful of them. I shouldn't have expected you to find three immoral reasons for defending them, Bessie. Mrs. John shook herself together and spoke seriously. I am not immoral, as you well know. I merely think it's awfully unimportant. Miss Wheaton weighs three hundred pounds, and she's slowly dying. As for Mr. Levin, he's not a man in that sense. He's a very well-executed bronze. I think it's too bad of you to worry. It's just because they have so little, either of them, to do with the world, the flesh and the devil, that they are so touching, for I find them touching. So does Philip even more than I do, and Phil is six times as moral as any of us. Cheer up. I know you've taken a perverted sort of pleasure in thinking how unconventional they are, but a woman of your worldly experience knows there's nothing in it. I wouldn't bother with Miss Wheaton if I were you. I'd go for Liberia with both hands and both feet. I dare say it does shock you a little. She relented to that extent. But you've really only to put your mind on it to see that there are other things that need your mind more. Mrs. Williston gathered up her furs for departure. I came to ask you if you wouldn't call on Cordelia with me, she began, but I don't think you are in the mood to go. No, I couldn't go with you today. I will sometime, perhaps. But I want to say one thing, she leaned forward. If you go and insult that poor old lady, you'll be doing a very unkind thing. I truly hope you won't. I believe she's hardly aware of this world at all, don't you go poking it in her face. She put a caressing tone into her voice that redeemed her speech from impertinence. It is always the business of a Christian woman, began Mrs. Williston. Mrs. John stood up and folded her arms, looking down on her visitor. Humph! Let's get rid of this, she muttered. Aunt Blanche, answer me one question. Why didn't you make some protest when Mr. Reed first told you? That was the time to stop it, before it had happened. You didn't say a word then, about the laws either of God or of man. I was bewildered, Bessie. I was hurt that my advice was scorned. For the moment I was helpless. You were relieved, Aunt Blanche. The words came quietly, like a verdict. We all were, for we were all in the same boat. You were so glad to be ordered off the premises that you didn't dare open your lips for fear they would say, Thank God! It's only now, now that you know that Walter Levin wouldn't let one of us touch Cordelia Wheaton if he had to poison us on the threshold, that you let yourself think of such things. If you really think them, you ought to move heaven and earth to take her away. 
Nothing would induce you to take her away, even if she'd come. Therefore you ought to be silent. I don't blame you for being willing to leave her where she is, but as long as you do, you'll have to let scandal alone. I will offer to take her away, if you think that right. Mrs. Williston was spurred to self-defense. Mrs. John shook her head. Too cheap and easy, Aunt Blanche. She's going to die where she is. You wouldn't offer if you thought they'd listen to you. No, that doesn't let you out. It's got to stop. Do you think I would spread such a thing? Wouldn't trust you a bit, my dear. Bessie's voice was honey with the taint of aloes. If you once got the bit in your teeth, but I think you'll presently see that you'd only get yourself laughed at, or perhaps very, very severely criticized. Then Bessie John condescended to imitate the argers. Aunt Blanche, Walter Levin has saved all our faces. You and I may know we were right, but he is making it possible for us to look pretty. Don't spoil it. I don't feel pretty letting one of my oldest friends do such an extraordinary thing. It is bound to reflect on me when people come to realize, for I shall always keep up with Cordelia, she finished austerely. You are brave, Aunt Blanche. You trust in God and keep your powder dry, don't you? Bessie asked irreverently. But whether you think you look pretty or not, I can tell you that you would have looked downright ugly if Miss Wheaton were starving on Miss Bean's light housekeeping. So should I. And I'm very grateful for not having to look ugly. We should have had perfectly good consciences, both of us. But it is very pleasant to have Walter Levin preserve our complexions as well. Mrs. Williston so obviously made no headway with the metaphor that Mrs. John changed the subject. "'It's perfectly all right, so long as you don't mix up in it,' she declared. "'Of course it will be a great relief when Miss Wheaton dies. "'Bessie!' Mrs. Williston was on very intimate terms with death in the abstract, but she was incapable of mentioning the demise of an individual— save with proper deprecation. Well, won't it? When she's got to suffer as she probably has, do you suppose it's very gay for her? Or for him, either? Oh, well, let's not discuss it further. I really can't go with you today, Aunt Blanche, but I'll pay my respects some time along. The twins have had whooping cough, you know. I've been very much occupied at home. Mrs. Williston rose. "'I shouldn't have wanted you in any case, Bessie, not after the light way you have been talking. You didn't talk that way about your friend, the little artist girl.' "'Oh, Julie Fort? No, I didn't. But there's all the difference in the world, you see. Miss Wheaton has done nothing. The very idea is too grotesque. Only your Gothic mind could harbor it.' whereas Julie has done everything. Is all her money gone? Mrs. Williston hovered ghoulishly on the threshold. So I heard. The man she ran off with had a little, I believe. Are they married? Was there a child? But Bessie John's patient was outworn. 
No, there was no child. I heard that they had quarreled. I heard a lot of horrid things. I don't want to discuss Julie Aunt Blanche. It's all too unpleasant. Does Cordelia know? The ghoul would not go. Why should she? And if you tell her, Bessie John threw her head back, then I'll tell. Tell what? Mrs. Williston's voice was sharp. Your family, about your annuity. My annuity? What do you mean? Mrs. John folded her arms and stood very straight. I admit that it's only a shrewd guess, but I have put a lot of things together, and I'm pretty sure. Anyhow, your family could jolly well find out, and they would. She loathed such talk, really, but most of all just then she loathed Aunt Blanche. All I mean is that Miss Wheaton is to be left in peace. The words were firm, but she ended with a tired sigh. If you think it would grieve, Cordelia. I see you get me, Aunt Blanche. Good-bye. And this time Bessie turned her back. But she rang for the parlor-maid and saw, across the twilight of the big room, the servant go with Miss Williston to her cab. Hoof! she murmured as she saw the cab drive away. There was immeasurable disgust in her tone. Philip! He loomed at the top of the staircase as she mounted. Next time I will let you come down, or rather, if Annie can't learn always to say out to Aunt Blanche, she'll have to go. New York might as well have open sewers as to have that woman at large. Arm in arm they went back into Bessie's room. What's the trouble? She wants to start a scandal about poor old Miss Wheaton. Miss Wheaton, but... Philip John burst into laughter. That's what I told her, but I had to threaten her in the end. How did you manage it? Told her I'd accuse her to her family of an annuity. But you don't know if she has one. I didn't, but I do now, because she crumbled at once, and I hinted to her that we all had good cause to be grateful to Walter Levin. She ended by wanting to know all about Julie Fort, that little rotter. Did you tell her the girl had gone utterly to the bat? Not precisely. That is, I didn't ravish her ears with any details. I simply couldn't. They would have delighted the old woman so. Her mouth was the greediest thing while she waited. You know I don't believe, Bess. John meditated amid smoke spirals. That your delightful Aunt Blanche really has pornographic tastes. I don't understand you. You, Aunt Blanche, her, and then you call her the devil in person. Pornographic tastes? Um, perhaps not. She'd be just as pleased with delirium tremens. That's why I hate reformers. They have such Catholic lusts. Any evil, almost, will satisfy them. Of course, if the world weren't rotten, they'd lose their blessed jobs, and they know it. Aunt Blanche isn't capable of anything except reforming the world. I never saw a reformer yet who would be trusted to do anything in a world that was decent already. They'd be supported by the state as incompetence. 
Aunt Blanche couldn't make herself normally useful in any capacity whatever. She hasn't the wit. Therefore, she is given the thunderbolts of Jove to play with. As usual, my dear girl, you're far too sweeping. Of course I am. No fun if you don't state your position with violence. But I told her she ought to get down on her knees to old Walter Levin, Bessie finished resolutely. Why? Philip John was quiet and curious. Because, Bessie drew a deep breath of effort, because he saved our faces. Ah, yes, Philip, I always meant to say that to you. That's all I mean, by the way. I was right, and I should have stuck to it. I would never have done one bit more than I planned to do that day in Mr. Reed's office. Never. But it wouldn't have looked nice. No, it wouldn't. I can't agree with you any farther than that. But just so far, I do. Thank heaven it isn't an issue now, but probably I owe it to you to say that, to that extent. It isn't very far, by the way. I'm with you. I don't want to discuss it. Not ever, Philip. Not now, even. We'll drop it right there. John searched her eyes with his own. Right there? Sure you don't want to go a little farther? Perfectly sure. So sure that I'm inordinately grateful to Mr. Levin. It would have been beastly for both of us. Why isn't it still rather beastly, if we don't agree? Because we don't have to discuss it, and on every other point in the world we do agree, don't we? So we can drop it out of sight, like Catholics who marry Protestants and live happily ever after. Some do, you know. Philip John smiled very gently and tolerantly. Then he let the whole question slip forever into the limbo of events that never come to birth. It would make me very miserable to quarrel with you, Bess. I'm with you in hoping we shall never have to. After all, married folk can't afford it. And after all, she pleaded with him a little, is there any honor in human relations more vital than the honor of marriage and of parenthood? If there is, I can't see it, that's all. Philip John patted her hand gently, but did not reply. Bessie, too, hushed her instinct for perfection, swathing it in a rich robe of compromise. That was all she could do, she saw quite clearly. And who should say the richness of the robe was not, in its way, true homage to the sleeping creature? Well, so far as she could contrive it, the sleeping creature should lie in state. She returned the pressure of her husband's hand. I'm going up to the nursery, she said. Better come along. End of section nine.